Amen. You can be seated. Well, today we're picking back up in our passage in First Peter. If you have a Bible, I'd go ahead and encourage you to turn there. Uh, the reality is we're going to be reading quite a bit of it. The verses will be on the screen, but this will be a great opportunity for you to maybe underline or highlight some things, I think, to help you remember what Peter's getting at as he writes this passage. It's going to be in First Peter chapter 2. And to this point in the passage, we have been given this view of God's work in establishing the church. He is building his church in the midst of very dark days. We should understand that the people, that the church in that day, they, they were not just merely an inconvenience, right? They were not just merely something. They, 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 were, a, they were a thorn in the side of this culture, of the government. The, the, the reality is, is that likely, and that it, it, it's still ahead of them, but, but likely the, 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 the persecution that they are about to begin to experience under the hand of Nero is extremely intense. They're already dealing with a very heavy social persecution and sometimes physical persecution. The reason that the church is in Asia Minor, where Peter is writing to, is that they had received immense persecution in Jerusalem and had been scattered to the to the corners of the earth and had begun to spread out and in in hopes of just living and and being in a place where where they could follow Christ and believe and trust in Jesus and live. The reality is they were living in the midst of dark days. Peter's writing this passage to a group of people. I, I, I wouldn't say that we are experiencing the exact same things, but they were living in times that were confusing and difficult. And I am confident, I'm confident that there is no better passage for us to read today. Peter wrote encouraging and edifying words, reminding the church of who they were in Christ calling them to remember what God had done. Reminding them. And, and then, not simply saying, now just get by. Just coast through. Just, just cover up and hide and draw back. And No, he calls them to boldly proclaim their faith. To boldly live out their faith. From it, we have been able to build principles of what it looks like to be a healthy church in the midst of a world that doesn't think it needs us, and in many cases would probably rather not have us. And from this, we've built a, a major premise, and I, I want to remind us of that today as we move into this, so that you have it fresh on your mind, you see kind of where we're heading and, and really how it brings application, very, very uh, necessary application. Having been united together with Christ, he unites us with his people to live together for his purpose and together for, to fulfill his mission. To this point, we have talked about Christ uniting us to one another, to, to, to bringing us together, to, to making us members of his family, to to uniting us and, and, and bringing us together intimately and physically, expressing that relationship that he's given us. And, and we've looked at God's purpose in the church. The, we've seen the membership piece of that premise. We've seen us being brought together, united as his people. But we've seen his purpose to bring us together, not simply so that we would be together. God is not assembling a people simply for, for grins and giggles. It's, it's not like he just wants to say, hey, look at what I can do. If that's what he wanted to do, that would be fine. He's God. 
But that's not what he's doing. He is bringing us together for his purpose. And we've seen that. We, we worked in that the last two weeks. If, you, if you've not been here, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. We won't have time to delve into it today. But there's more. There's more than just bringing us together and making us members together. There's more than just the purpose he has in us and in his people. There's more for us than just coming together. And there's more for us than just being brought together that we might worship and enjoy him. There's more. And it's imperative that we get the more. If we are going to be a healthy church, we need to get the more. We need to understand the mission that he has for the church. We need to understand why he's left us here in this time. We need to know what he intends for us to do. If we are going to be a healthy church, if we are going to be growing, ever growing in our health, we must must know the mission, but we must also live the mission. If we're going to live the mission, we must know it well. But there is way more at stake here than our health as a church. I'm keeping that. I'm keeping that because it's our series, and I don't want you to miss it. I I don't want you to miss it. But there is so much more at stake than being a healthy church. The truth is, is that I, I don't know that we could have been, been at a place at a more appropriate passage in the scripture for what we're experiencing in our, in our, in our nation. I don't know that there is a, is a better passage to apply as we sit here and, 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 and experience and watch and look around at what's happening in the world around us. The truth is, is that the truth is it just doesn't just doesn't help us understand what it takes to be a healthy church. The passage we're going to work through today, it helps us to know how to live in in a culture, in in a set of circumstances that no longer deems it necessary to even act as Christians because they found a better way. The, The truth is that we need this passage. We, we need it because it doesn't just help us maintain our church health, but because it helps us know how to live. And not just how to live, but why we desperately need to live this way. Why our city needs this church to live this way. Why our state and our nation and our world at large need us and every other believing Christian, every other local church to live this way. This is a passage that brings us to a place that gives us a sight of what God has for his people now and until the time he returns. And our world, our city needs us. It needs his church living this mission. So would you read with me? First Peter chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 4, where we've been working. We're going to see the principles that we've, we've been dealing with. They, they, they apply perfectly, they, they apply completely to what we're going into. So we need to have those. I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to see it. 
And Peter writes, beginning in verse 4 of chapter 2, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. The world has rejected Jesus. They want nothing to do with him, but in God's sight, he is the answer. You yourselves, as you come to him, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. Membership matters. Membership in the church is important. It's not some secondary status in the Christian life. It's not some secondary motion. It's not some secondary move. It is automatic because as we come to him, this is the work that Jesus is doing. He is building us up. He is binding us together as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture. Behold I am laying in Zion a stone. A cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no shame for believing in Jesus. No matter what the world would make you believe. No matter what anybody would tend to, to make you feel. There is no shame. There will never be shame. In coming to Christ, it is the removal of shame. It's the only way that shame is ever removed. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. It's all a benefit. But for those who do not believe, the stark contrast, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. God is building his church on Jesus. There is no other way in. There is no other way around. There is not another door into this house but through Jesus. You can try to build your own way, but you will stumble against the cornerstone. You will be crushed by that rock. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, this is you believer. This is what he says about you. This is his purpose for you. This is what he's doing in you. This is what he's doing in us. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen, we'll stop right there and just take a second. He is binding us together. He is building us together. Stacking us upon one another that we might be a dwelling place and a priesthood. A dwelling place that, res that, that, that reveals His glory in the world. That enjoys His presence among one another. That, that enjoys Him. And a priesthood that worships Him. That serves him, that, that worships him in, 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 in spirit, or in, in word and in deed, or in spirit and in truth. 
See, we get the membership portion. We heard it in verses 4 and 5 and then in 10. The membership piece, Jesus is the, the, the cornerstone. He's being the, 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 the place where the church is being built. It's being built through him. It's God's work. He's doing it. We hear the purpose piece in verses 5 through 9. That's what he has for us. That's what he's doing in us. We need to know, we need to be reminded regularly in the midst of darkness, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of a a world around us, we need to know it is not what they say. It is not how they perceive us. That is not the truth. The truth is that you are being built together as a spiritual house. You are being built as members together of the body of Christ. You are being made a dwelling place of God. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy priesthood. You are a chosen race, a holy nation. You, brothers and sisters, this is his purpose to to assemble these these things together. This is his purpose in us. We We could summarize it in this way. And we have. This, I hope, will sound familiar. God's purpose in the church through Jesus Christ is to assemble a people for himself that we will worship and enjoy him forever. He's not just doing this for grins and giggles. He's doing this that we might know the honor, that we might know the blessing, that we might know the joy of knowing our God. And that we might respond in worship that is in deed and in word. That we would come together in moments like this and sing our praises. And that we would come together and speak about what God is doing. And that we would proclaim his excellencies to one another and to the world around us. That we would speak it and that we would walk it. That our mouths and the, and the, and the, and the words that come out of our mouths would meet the motions that our feet carry us in. That together these things would bring him glory and honor. We have been built together as a people called to worship. Our whole life is to be about his worship. So that's the membership piece. That's the purpose piece of our major premise, but it doesn't end there. There is more, and it is vital for us to see this, for us to know this. Peter continues in verse 11. Beloved, let that sit on you for a second. Beloved, you you know that that is how God sees you. When you walk in front of him, he doesn't frown. He doesn't look at you as if you're less. In Christ, you are beloved. In Christ, you are beloved. I urge you. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
This is God's mission for his church. It's not one I'm making up. It's not one that was produced by, by men and we can just give ourselves to it. This is God's mission for his church. This is, this, this is his word telling us now how to live and what to do. So just last week, the highest court in our land decided it was unconstitutional to deny same-sex couples the right to get married. I don't think what I just said is a surprise to any of you unless you stayed in a closet all weekend. It's been everywhere. And there are reactions all over the place. On each end of the spectrum, the decision of these five Supreme Court justices ended what many saw as the greatest of all injustices that has ever been perpetrated against a people. But it has become what many have said is the greatest wrong ever committed. In fact, I saw one person's post this weekend saying, just decreeing that this was the end of the United States. RIP, United States of America, 1776 or 1776 to 2015, something like that. I can't remember exactly. This is, this is it. We're done. That's his proclamation. That's his understanding. Is it? Just let me let you in on a little secret. I don't think this will shock you either. But it's something we don't think about often. Last week, July 26th, June 26th, what month is this? June 26th is not the first day our, our nation became senseless. You get that? Our nation has always been sinful. Our nation has never been a Christian nation. We have certainly made room for a form of religion in the public square. And as long as it served its purpose, it was welcome. We have been blessed by God, experienced his grace in many, many ways, but it has been grace. It was not because we have deserved to be there. Don't mistake this. For several generations, as I said, we've carried a form of religion into the public square, but we haven't truly been a nation given to God's glory. We have never been a nation given to God's glory, the way Peter has called us to be a people given to God's glory. The, the, the decision made, made by our highest court in, in the land simply demonstrates that we feel less inclined now more than ever to act like we are, we are no longer a nation under God, instead a nation that is its own God. See, really what we've done is we've determined we don't need him anymore because look who we are. But it didn't start last Friday. Brothers and sisters, we are living in dark days. Evil abounds. Just think about what this year has held for us. In, in, in recent months, uh, we've been awakened to the reality that we are still very racist as a people. That we, that we have a, a, a privilege of sitting as, as white folks. 
had a number of conversations in recent weeks that have awoken me, have awakened me to my own issues. I would have never told you I was racist, but I stood in a place of privilege, and I didn't want to be removed. You see, we've made a lot of progress. There's been a lot of change since the 1960s, but what we find is it's not gone deep enough because systems and structure never go deep enough. We live in a world where there are an estimated 30 million slaves. I thought we eradicated slavery. 30 million slaves, 60,000 of which are right here in the good old U.S. of A. These are numbers that aren't compromised. They're, they're, they're not by reducing the, the terminology or by, by in some way saying that a slave is less than what we would consider it to be. These are people who are living in forced labor, forced prostitution and sex slavery, child soldiers and child brides. Evil did not begin last Thursday or Friday, whenever it was. We have been living in evil days. D did you know that, that there have been an estimated 58 million, 58 million abortions in the United States since the passing of Roe versus Wade? 58 million children who have died before they took their first breath One estimate I found stated that the worldwide that, that worldwide there have been over one billion three hundred and thirty nine million. One billion three hundred and thirty nine million. We have been living in the dark. For so long that we have been able to turn our eyes away from the evil around us. We did not become evil last Thursday or Friday, whatever day. The sin and the evil in this world are overwhelming when we stop to think about it. What has happened in these last few days, in my opinion, something we shouldn't be surprised by at all. We shouldn't be surprised that the, a sinful world acts in sinful ways. We shouldn't be anxious or in despair. God is still sovereign. He still sits on a throne and He has still said, You are my beloved. But it is not something to celebrate either. Even though we don't live in despair and anxiety, there is no need for us to be celebrating we did not achieve some great moral victory. Rather, in my opinion, this is a wake-up call. It's a time to take stock. It's a time to recognize that we need to know God's mission for His church and to live God's mission for his church in part so that we can be healthy together as believers but in part so that the world can know 
in this passage that we have read from Peter, he gives us exactly what we need. He gives us exactly what he tells us, exactly what we're to do. He tells us exactly how we are to live. He tells us the mission. God's mission for the church in all places and all circumstances, in all times, is to live out worship that leads others to worship him. You see it in verse 11 and 12. We've already been established as a people who are called to worship. And in verse 11 and 12, we are called to live in such a way that it leads others to see the glory of God. To glorify Him. To be a people of worship who lead others to worship. To be a people who live and act and speak worship to, so that others will come to know and live and act and speak Worship. This is his mission for the church. Now, I hope that sounds familiar. If you're a member of this church, I, I hope that sounds familiar. Because it is the very purpose and vision and mission that your leaders are calling you to every week under the authority of Scripture. Under the authority of the teaching of God, we come and we say, come to Him and worship that others might worship. That is the mission that God is working in the world and has for us to do. Let me just show you, we're going to get one phrase out of this passage, these two verses today. We're going to get four words. And we'll come back and pick it up again next week. Beloved, I urge you. Peter is calling people to this. By God's authority, he is calling people to this. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to believers, to those who have come to Christ. And, and here's the problem. Here's the issue. For too long, for, for too many generations, for too much time, we have, we have stood as a church and we have tried to depend on everything but the glory of God. We have looked at the world and we have said, you need to act like this. You need to live moral lives. You need to act like we do. Here's the rules for you to follow. We don't even follow them that well. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you, Christian, this is for you. This is not for you to go out and call people who have not come to Christ yet. This is not for you to, to point fingers at everybody else that's around you. This is for you. This is for me. This is our mission. Wake up. I urge you, he says. I urge urge you this is your responsibility this is your role this is god's mission for you i think this is my personal opinion my personal opinion i think the greatest injustice in the world is not slavery and is not abortion i, I think the greatest injustice in the world is not marriage equality or the protection of marriage I think the greatest injustice in the world is that the church has forgot its role in the world God has given us the answer 
He has revealed to us His glory. He has shown us the truth about our nature. And He has said, you are beloved. And we have turned our back on Him. We, we have looked to other things than Him. We have expected systems and organizations to fix our racism issues. We have developed parachurch organizations to handle slavery. And we have stood in the corners and said, choose life, choose life, thinking that that in some way would end abortion. But God, in His great mercy, has given us living hope. And He has shown us the truth. And He has shown us the way. And He has said this, you need to do. You need to worship me with all your life that everyone else might see what it is to worship me. And some actually will join me in worship. How? How can, can we expect the world to worship if we don't? How can we expect them in life to, to worship in word and in deed the God who created, the God who saves, the God who is? How can we expect them to worship if we don't, how can we expect the world to honor God with their life if we won't? If we don't, if the church is going to fulfill its mission from God, we must regain our awe of God. You see, at the heart of every one of our struggles in this day and age, at the heart of every issue that we face, there is one current theme. We don't have God in this proper place. We have lost our awe of Him. So today, in the time remaining, I want to do what Peter did. You see, he didn't start by calling the church to this. He didn't start by saying, brother or beloved, I urge you. This, this comes along after much work, after much writing, after many powerful words. He is not wasting words. But he has shown us first why God is worthy to be worshipped. I'm going to do that from the breadth of Scripture. He spoke, and the creation responded. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, like when the clock started ticking, God created the heavens and earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Do you know anybody else that can do that? Do you know anybody else with that kind of power? 
I can scream and I can shout, let there be light. Creation does not bow to me. I can't make something come from nothing. No one else can either. God is awesome and he is powerful. Psalm 97, 1 through 7, he is majestic and alone worthy to be worshipped. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. Just saying. Not very promising for them. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Have you ever stood in the Rockies and just admired the majesty? You stood at the foot of a mountain and seen the snowy peaks and thought how majestic they melt like wax before the Lord. Before the Lord of all the earth, the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame. You remember what we read just a bit ago in 1 Peter? In Christ there is no shame. Outside of him, you will be put to shame. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. He is worthy. Only he is worthy. Imagine yourself in the throne room like Isaiah and Isaiah 6, 1 through 4 as he receives his call in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Put yourself in that room. Above him stood two seraphim, each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice who called of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And in Christ, he comes near. This he's not distant. He's not. He's not unknowable. He's not unseeable. He's not uh, uh, unexperienceable. He comes near. Ephesians, Paul writes in chapter one, verses three through six: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every." Let me emphasize every, he's not holding anything back from you, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. Remember what Peter's told us, we've been made in coming to Christ, what have we been made? Holy priesthood, holy nation. We're blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. He's not asking advice. He's not looking around and hoping somebody will help him out. He's got the answer. It's his will to the praise of his glorious grace 
Brothers and sisters, the best thing we can do today for this world is recognize the goodness and the greatness and the glory and the grace of our God. He alone is worthy to be worshipped. He alone is worthy of our awe and our devotion and our adoration. He alone deserves to be worshipped. Peter picks up the mantle. In verses 1, 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is reason to celebrate. There's a reason to dance. That's a reason to, to run out into the streets and, and proclaim His excellencies. And it's a reason to mourn because there are people who will reject Him, who will be crushed by Him to an inheritance. We have been given an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, the very power that said, let there be light, and light shone by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Church, family, brothers and sisters, Beloved, God's mission is for us to worship Him and lead others to worship Him. Not to fix all the problems of the world. There will be sin and evil until the day He returns. Worship Him in life in word and in deed. Worship Him. Make your life about showing and revealing His glory. Make your life revolve around the glorification of the God who deserves to be worshipped. See, in this, it doesn't mean that we, we, we aren't supposed to sit and do nothing. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to be bumps on a log just waiting for Him to come back. Praise Jesus. Glad God saved me. We aren't supposed to sit and do nothing. Peter says there's, there's two things to do to, to set aside your lust and do good deeds. Live for His glory that others might glorify Him. We shouldn't hide from it. We shouldn't cower from it. You are saved. You are beloved by God. There is no reason to sit in a corner. But now we have every right and every purpose and, and the calling. To stand out in the culture and say, God alone is worthy to be worshipped. Anything less, anything less is sin. And we definitely should recognize this is not a time to celebrate or affirm. And I recognize that in this room there are people who are scared. I've heard it. I've heard rumor. I've heard people talking to me about it. You are nervous for what has just happened. Your hope is not in what the Supreme Court has done. It is in Christ. And in this room, there are people who have fallen to the other side, and they are celebrating as if we have done some great thing in this nation. Brothers and sisters, as we celebrate this, we are celebrating the judgment of God upon people. That is not right. 
our will is to live so definitely, so specifically, so completely for the glory of God that others might see and glorify Him. If that's going to happen, we are going to have to ourselves regain our all. We ourselves must fall on our faces before our Creator who chose to be our Savior, who will one day deem it okay to let us sit in His presence, who will wipe away every tear, who will end the rule of death, and will remove the flesh that leads you to sin against Him forever. Let's pray. As I pray, I want you to know that the words I'm about to say come from a passage of Scripture. It's Isaiah 64, 1 and 2. But I long for this. And I would ask that as I read it, as I say it, that you too would long for it. Speaking to our Father, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence. As when the kindles brush wood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known. Father, Father, awaken our spirits. Revive our hearts. Give us a, a renewed sense of awe of who you are. To make your name known to your adversaries that the nations might tremble at your presence. God, you are worthy to be worshipped. Draw us there that the world around us might see it and that some might come to worship you. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.